So again, back to the basics. It's the who's who in the Bible and what did they do? So we're going to take some more. We're going to focus on some of the main characters. If you like it, at the end, I will offer to do some more not-so-well-known people. Actually still play a role, rather prominent role. The one person that's going to be noticeably missing is, in fact, Jesus. Nobody who's here, and we've talked about him quite a bit. He's obviously the one who died for our sins, and is the one through whom salvation is found. So... A lot of these people are Jesus types or point towards things that Jesus would do. So we will touch on that as we go. So the first person we come to is Noah. Thought everybody knew who Adam and Eve was, even if they didn't come to a Bible study. So start at Noah. Let's get stepped over Cain and Abel. What do you guys know about Noah? He built the ark. He built an ark. He was the only one found by God at that time. Wasn't a complete degenerate, complete God. Uh, I'm sorry that he made humans. Um, no, was the only one righteous living at the time. Yeah. So the word actually used is the people were wicked, and when it says that that people were, you know, he was sorry that he had created man. It wasn't that he regretted created creating. It was that he was. Sorry for the way they were acting. It, it grieved him that he would have to punish, but he had to do so. What else? Well, he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. That's really the only family that's named by name. And an interesting fact, it took him 55 to 75 years to build the ark. During a period of time when there was no rain, there had never been rain, and he was building an ark on dry land, and these people probably thought he was nuts and wanted to know how he intended to get that boat to the sea. Geographically. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know where he built the ark. I know it came to rest on Mount Ararat, which is Mount Middle East. Mount Ararat. Uh, I believe it's offhand. I believe it's Turkey. What was its starting age? He was old. Because then he lived to be like 100 and... Yeah, I don't, I don't know how old he lived to be off the top of my head. But he uh, he lived to be a good old age. God, interesting fact, did not flood the earth until after Methuselah, who is his grandfather, and the oldest ever living person, and his father, Lamech. So Noah's dad and grandpa died. And when Lamech died, that's when God initiated the flood. So he kind of waited for the last righteous person, if you will, that was going to be saved, to be saved. When we see Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, we find out that Noah's wife and their three wives are the only people who are saved. And when we see Jesus, we are saved, not because of who we are, but because we're married to as the bride of Christ. We are married to Jesus, who is the Son of the Father. So it is actually a rapturesque picture. We are saved from judgment because of who we are married to, not because of what we did. Any questions on Noah? Thoughts? More explanation the, or anything? Be wrong, but the flood was seven, seven days and seven nights, right? Something like that. It's, the actual rain was 40 days and 40 nights. But the flood lasted much longer. How long did the flood last? Several months before the waters dissipated. And in fact, the math on the flood story is how we know that a biblical month is 30 days by 12 months. Any other questions? Okay. What about Abraham? What do we know about Abraham? God chose him to be the patriarch when he created his, uh, his people. He's the, I guess, original Jew, if you want to say. He was the original Jew. He was the OJ. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. What else do we know about Abraham? Didn't God call him to leave his home? Uh, take his wife. 
and go to, uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but. You can't remember because he never told him where he was going. That's why, yes. Yes, he told him to get Sarah and Lot and go to where I show you. Interestingly, he is in Ur of the Chaldeans. That's where he's called out of. Ur. You are. And he is not told where to go. Ur is essentially the land of Babylon, where Babylon will come up. Uh, in that area, and that's very pagan. So there's no indication that Abraham ever actually knew who God was. So here he hears the voice of God. He tells him, hey, separate yourself from everything you know and go somewhere I'll show you. And he's like, on it. So, yeah. so his name was originally Abram. And his wife's name was Sarai. Uh, Abraham, he changes his name to Abraham when he trusts him and he creates a covenant through him. And it means father of multitude. So he changes his name to what he will be. I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea. And Sarah is princess. As Adam said, he's the father of the Jewish people. The Jews get really upset if you point out in the Old Testament that he was not born a Jew. He became a Jew, much as we are not born Christians, but become Christians. He is the father of Islam also. In fact, he is the father of the big three. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all trace their heritage to Abraham. Does anybody know where Islam comes from out of Abraham's roots? His first one is Ishmael. Ishmael, yeah. Who, did, who had Ishmael? Hagar. Hagar was an Egyptian slave that his wife owned. So God promised Abraham that he would have a son through whom the blessing would come. Abraham trusted God. It just so happened they did not trust him enough. They thought they had to help him out a little bit. And so he took Hagar as wife at Sarah's bidding, which didn't turn out well, as many of you can understand. Several places in the Bible we see that wives urge their husbands to do something that's not a good idea, and they listen, and then it's shown to them that it's not a good idea. In fact, Hagar and Ishmael, once uh, his son Isaac is born, they are cast out. Sarah says, get them out of here. And he has to cast them out. And that is where the Islamic nations come from. He believed God. Does anybody remember this, the real pivotal story where he believed God? It didn't take place on a mountain. What happened on the mountain? Well, thinking of the one where who it was, but they were stuck in the middle of the middle of the sea, and then Jesus came to them. Walk, no, walk, no. Hey, that's Peter. Oh, Abraham. Is very Old Testament. We're still in the beginning of Genesis. Wow. You're doing you're doing a good job. Jesus no, no. Jesus actually actually Jesus does come to Abraham at one point, and we'll get to that. But he's not known as Jesus. He's just known as God. So he believed God, and when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, that story where he takes. He takes his only son. Abraham takes his only son. His son carries the wood up the hill as the sacrifice. Wait, his son carries the Isaac. Wood? Isaac carries the wood on his back for the sacrifice. In fact, they take two servants and they leave them. They represent the two thieves at the cross. Isaac represents Jesus and Abraham the father as he sacrifices his son for his willing. No, to sacrifice his son. When Abraham shows that the father is willing to sacrifice his only son, that is literally a Jesus story. And Mount Moriah is also known as Calvary. That is the same mountain where Jesus will actually be crucified. There's a lot of Jesus in the Old Testament. He is the uncle to Lot. We all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, fire from heaven. In fact, 
Uh, modern science believes that the area of Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by an air-bursting meteor, which it says God rained down fire from heaven. So modern science is proving your Bible once again. Isaac, his son, was actually born when he's about 100 years old. Sarah was also in her 90s, which is why they pushed Hagar to be the, to be the wife. They thought they weren't able to do it. In fact, when Jesus walks into the camp and says, this time next year you will be with, you will have a child, Sarah laughed in her mind. And Jesus said, why did you laugh? She goes, I didn't laugh. And he goes, oh, but you did. That had to be like a little bit of a, oh. And that time next year when he shows up, they have Isaac. Interesting fact, Abraham negotiated with God. In fact, he negotiates with Jesus over Sodom and Gomorrah. When Jesus shows up, he negotiates with the two angels. That, Jesus shows up with the two angels that are going to destroy, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He negotiates. If you find this many, I think he starts at 50. If you find 50 righteous, will you destroy it? Jesus says, no, I'll save it for 50. He goes all the way down to 10. Jesus ends up saying, nope, I won't destroy it for 10. Problem is, he will only find one. That's the story of Lot coming. Any questions about Abraham? Anything else you want to share about Abraham? Okay, so what do we know about Jacob? Okay, where did Jacob come from? He has a ladder. Look at that. Okay. What is Jacob's ladder? I just know he's Jacob's ladder. Does anybody know what Jacob means? So the meaning of names in the Bible are very important. They actually tell you things about it. So Jacob means he grasps the heel. Or he, he grasps the heel. Or he cheats, supplants. Cheats or supplants. And that, if you know the Jacob story, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So he has a twin. He... He is the son of Isaac. So, remember, Abraham has their son. Their son is Isaac. This is Isaac's son, Jacob. He marries, uh, Isaac marries Rebekah. They have Jacob, who his twin brother is Esau. And he got his name because as Esau was born, Jacob was holding his heel. In fact, God had told Rebekah, the younger Will will rule over the older. Well, you pull on it. Does anybody you. remember the Esau story? Pull on it. No. It's attached to you. So at one point, Esau was a hunter. Jacob. Esau was very hairy. Esau was like, you know, the hunter. Uh, Jacob was more of the gardener. Uh, one day, Esau's out. He comes back. He's like, I'm going to die. Give me something to eat. And he sold his birthright as the firstborn child, for a bowl of lentil soup. He was a little upset about that. Then, after that takes place, uh, Isaac says, I'm going to bless you. Esau, please go out and hunt for some food for me. Make my favorite meal. So he goes out. Well, Rebecca, uh, Jacob was her favorite. Esau was Isaac's favorite. Rebecca kills a goat, puts the hair on on his hands, on his neck, puts the clothes of Esau on Jacob and sends him in as if he's Esau, and she made the food. And she said, just do what I tell you. Sends him in. He ends up, Isaac can't see. He smells him, he feels him, he blesses him as if he's Esau, and that is where steals his birthright. Um, so Esau decides he's going to kill Jacob for taking his birthright and now his blessing. So Jacob takes off. When Jacob flees from Esau, he sleeps one night out in the open, and he sees angels ascending and descending from heaven upon a ladder. That is where Jacob's ladder comes from. You said Jacob sees that? Mm -hmm. Sees who? Angels going up and down a ladder from heaven. So then he meets Laban, Laban ends up uh, being related to him. He's he served seven years to get Rebecca, or I'm sorry, uh, Rachel, 
because he really likes her, but she's the younger. Laban tricks him, which is funny because Jacob has tricked everybody so far. Laban tricks him. He sends Leah in that night. He wakes up with Leah. Leah is described as not the most attractive woman. Okay, Rachel or Rebecca or Rachel is described as very beautiful. Leah is not so beautiful. Laban, who's Laban? Laban's their dad. Oh. So after seven years of work, he sends in the wrong daughter. Jacob gets upset. He says, well, you got to take the first one first. So he works another seven years. And then he gets Rachel, who he actually wanted. He works another seven years. Basically, he runs off. On his way back, on his way back from that, he wrestles with God one night. And in that wrestling, he tells God to bless him. Oh, here. Yeah. And God blesses him and ch God changes his name to Israel. So this is where the nation of Israel actually gets their name. It's from Jacob. Jacob has his name changed from changed from he cheats or supplants to Israel, which means God strives, God rules, God heals, or he strives against God. So Israel and Jacob are the same people? Yeah, they're the exact same person. Oh. Jacob, or Israel, is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you've ever heard of the 12 tribes of Israel, those are actually his sons. Actually, one of his sons will have two other sons that he will adopt as his own, if you will, and they will also be in the 12 tribes. But they are, in order of birth, I believe, Reuben, Simeon, Levi. Levi is the priestly tribe. Judah, that's the lineage of Jesus. Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, who was the favorite. Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Those are the 12 tribes. Joseph will have two sons who will be the half-tribes. Interesting fact, Jacob, when he travels to Egypt as Israel, will actually bless Pharaoh. Joseph. What do you know about Joseph? The son of Jacob and Israel, not the father of Jesus. Joseph is the one who has the coat of many colors. Because he's the favorite of his father. Joseph, due to jealousy, is sold by his brothers into slavery. And actually, the people he sells them to are the Ishmaelites. Remember the Ishmaelites? They come from Ishmael, which is the family tree that was cast out by Abraham after he had Isaac. So it all, it all has a circle here. But you get down to Genesis 37 from Genesis you know, 12 and 15, you start forgetting about these people, but it's all linked. He ends up in Egypt, a guy named Potiphar. His wife really likes Joseph. Joseph is described as a handsome individual. She wants to sleep with him. He turns her down enough times that one day she catches him alone in the house, actually rips his clothes off, and he runs away. And she claims he tried to rape her, so he's thrown in prison for two years. He then interprets the dreams of a baker and the cupbearer of, of Pharaoh. When the cupbearer goes back, he's like, I'll remember you. He forgets him. Until Pharaoh dreams a dream, and then he's like, I remember this guy. Through interpreting dreams, Joseph actually becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt, which is the most powerful nation in the world at the time. So he is interpreting dreams. He tells him about a famine that's coming. Jacob is the reason, or Joseph is the reason, that Jacob or Israel will go to Egypt. They go to Egypt and are treated very well for some time. And then they become slaves. This will then lead to the exodus. Interesting fact, Joseph is a type of Jesus in that he, he did many things that will... We could link to salvation, and, and that would be an entire study. So, but he is a he is a very uh, Messiah type figure, leading to how the Messiah will. Any questions? He is a type of Jesus. Yes. 
So if you look at what he did, he actually has very Messiah-ish qualities. I'm sorry. That would be an entire study. To go out and come back. If Jacob was bad, why does everybody lose his name? Because he is where Israel comes from. He is Israel, too. I think I'm going to change my middle name. <laughs> He's not bad. I'll go with Joseph. Jacob, Jacob wasn't bad. I just still remember But Jacob got fooled, even though he was a fooler. So Jacob was just selfish. I'm going to change my middle name. Okay. Moses, what do we know about Moses? Well, there's a lot about Moses. I'll. How convinced you want to make it? Moses is a very important part of the like you, you story. Story. story, Jesus story. I don't think they want to play. Yeah, yeah. So, for the, why was it the uh, the mother putting on the basket in the ground? Because they're going to kill the firstborn or something like that. Yes. So they. So Pharaoh orders the death of the oldest or any male child born to the Hebrews because he was scared they would become so strong that it overthrow Egypt. So his mother takes him and he puts him in a basket and puts him in the river hoping that somebody will find him. And he does. It's Pharaoh's uh, daughter. Yes. And she raises Moses as her own child. Uh, he has pretty much everything in the world that you could want to about him. He does know that uh, he's a Jew and he sees the beautiful names of the Egyptians and he sees his, his people being mistreated. And at one point he actually kills one of the Egyptians. And uh, he flees. He, he leaves everything behind. He basically goes out to the countryside for 40 years. Um, and at that point, I think he's like 80, so he's an old man. And he's called by God to go back and uh, speak to Pharaoh and basically rescue. I'm sure you know the story from Mary Leeds, the Jews out of the party in the Red Sea. I'm sure. Wandered the Ten Commandments, so that's very like Moses is such a, a pivotal figure. Like, what we try to do, like, how old are you? He was, I'm like, set third grade. I got held back a couple years. Well, the next I I the church, like, you know, and all this stuff, and for like a long time, before I got all that became, I never stayed that I, I lost my faith in my family, you know. Whatever. When it comes back, so I know a lot of these stories, a lot of we is refreshing stuff like that, but I'm to the point now that like I get more into the, the apologetics, which is like why I believe. And like this is just the absolute foundation. And it's important to know this because you know Adam started making fine and then you know, we skipped it to and then right. Noah was obviously an important person was the guy. And you know, we populate the earth. So he's just going through like a who's who of Israel's and how Israel became ours. So when he led the Jews, didn't, didn't they have to go through the desert and all? Okay. After they went, so he leads them out of Egypt. Right. So, oh my gosh. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh lets them go. Right. I mean, I'm speaking a lot of the story. Oh, no, that's fine. I just, I thought I remembered a story of him walking through the desert or something. So like Pharaoh that. lets him go and when he decides no, so he. Pharaoh changes his mind essentially, and he takes his army, all his chariots, and chases after them. It's kind of like a movie plot. So the Israelites become they come up to a river, Red Sea, and they can't they can't cross. They got the Egyptian army in their back, and they're kind of screwed. So Moses raises his staff, and God, you know, parts the Red Sea. The Jews go across, and then the Egyptians follow, and then the sea comes and swallows up the army. And then they're condensing it. Yeah, essentially they wander around the desert for 40 years, uh, pretty much until Moses' death. And then the next, we got who's who comes into play and leads him into the actual promised land. And a lot of this place, a huge, massive part of where we're at today. Hmm. So, yes, he was saved in a basket. In fact, Moses means, his name means drawn out of water. And it is Hebrew, so it's not an Egyptian name. That's an important thing. In fact, 
the last sermon I gave, I actually link a lot of these together with your New Testament stories. If you want to go much deeper, listen to that one, because I go into what Kirk was talking about. He kills an Egyptian at 40 years old. He flees into the wilderness for 40 years, and then he runs into a burning bush. So you hear about the burning bush? That's Moses. And Jesus is the burning bush. Jesus is the one speaking to him from the burning bush. And he is. he says, hey, who... Who should I tell him sent me? I can't tell him some burning bush told me to come see you. And he says, tell them the I am that I am has sent you. And that wording is the same one that Jesus will use it in the rest when they drop to their knees. Because at his name, every knee shall them. So he's 80 years old when he comes back to lead them out. He's an 80-year-old. So we get the burning bush. He oh, tells he was still in his prime. Yeah. We lived to 120. Well, there you go. He's still in front. So he says to, to Pharaoh, let my people go. And then he brings out plagues. Ten in all. In Exodus 7, it's water turned to blood. In 8, it's frogs. Then lice or gnats. Flies, which are probably biting flies. In 9, it is disease of livestock. Boils on people. Hailstones that kill animals and vegetation. Locusts in 10 that eat up the vegetation that's left. There were several different waves of locusts. And then darkness. A darkness so thick that nobody could move or do anything. And then in 11 comes the death of the firstborn. It wasn't just the firstborn of humans. It was the firstborn of animals. And that is where we get house. That's the land blood on the thing and all of that. So that's the Passover. That's Moses. Then we get to the Red Sea crossing. He leads them through the Red Sea. At the Red Sea, he went into what, what that is. 600,000 men. An estimated 1.3 million people crossed the Red Sea. It was a large crossing. He goes on to get the Ten Commandments twice. He got frustrated with the people who made a golden calf. And he broke the first set. So God rewrote the Ten Commandments. And they are actually, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments are actually two of the three things, four things that are in the Ark of the Covenant, probably still to today. Aaron's rod, which is his older brother, who is actually the pastor or priest. Uh, Aaron's rod was in there. It budded with almonds. And then piece of the manna from heaven, which, which God gave them as food while they were going through the dead. Did you say he wrote the Ten Commandments? No, God wrote them on oh. the stone. He brought them down. Okay. He had to wear a veil over his head because when he saw God, his face literally glowed and it scared everybody. So he had to wear a veil. He spoke to God, which was actually Jesus, face to face like we are talking now. He's the only person that is ever said about it, until Jesus is born. Because God is hidden in a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. That led them. They could see it. They couldn't see the person. And yet, still seeing that, they revolted several times, and the earth swallowed some people, and snakes went around, and all sorts of stuff. You'd think they'd get the hint, but they didn't. He's the one who sets up the priestly tribe of Levi, he sets up the tabernacle, which is the tent where the holy things go, and he's the one who is giver of the law. He was the one who led them to the promised land. Interesting fact, he led Israel to the promised land, but he wasn't allowed in. Because when you are the one who represents the law, he didn't listen, and he was told to hit a rock one time, he hit it twice. That kept him out of the promised so the law is very strict. Mess up one time, you're out. Jesus is not the law, which is why we can get in even though we're all messed up. Questions on Moses? Joshua. What do we know about Joshua? Joshua is actually where we get the name Jesus. The Hebraic is where Jesus' name comes from. After Moses died, he actually led them into the promised land. Um, him and another... Yeah, yeah, uh, went real spot. The land was inhabited by people. 
seems like took it. <laughs> um, like, so much happens in life. They, him and another guy went to go spy. I forget the, the location, but... So there were 12 of them. 12 of them. So... The entire area, actually. Was, what, but where were they at when... Canaan. Like, Canaan? Yeah. In, uh... Sorry. Which one are you talking about? Are you talking about... Where they got lowered down? No, that's Jericho. Jericho? Oh, okay. So we essentially led them into the Palestine. So... He is the assistant to Moses. Now, Moses' older brother, Aaron, was the priestly person. Both of them were not allowed into promising. But he is the leader of the army. He was one of 12 spies that Moses commissioned to look out the nation of Canaan before they invaded. Him and Caleb are two good spies, and then there's 10, 10 other spies. Each spy came from one of the tribes of the nation of Israel. He led Israel across the Jordan. Interesting thing is, their crossing of the Jordan is close to the Red Sea crossing, in that the ark went upstream and stopped all the water. And the people crossed some 3,000 feet. They weren't allowed within 3,000 feet of the ark in the crossing. So they cross on dry land across the Jordan, and this freaks people out on the other side. Just think about it. You hear this rumor that the Red Sea, and it just stood up on mounds on either side, and they walked through it, and then it drowned the Egyptians. And then you're like watching all these people, because most of them died in the desert, because they had to wander for 40 years, because they weren't too trusting. And when they crossed the Jordan, all of a sudden the water just stops on this side and drains on that side, and it just builds up on this one upstream. Where you can see it, and they just cross until the priests walk across after everybody goes through, and then it just goes back to normal. It doesn't flood; it just goes back to normal. That would get your attention. He's the one who brought down the walls of Jericho. You hear the story of them marching around the walls of Jericho seven times. Well, they watched; they march around it one time for six days, and on the seventh day, they did it seven times. Blew the horn. They did it in complete silence. That last time, and then they yelled, screamed, blew horns, and the walls fell. Jericho's where Rahab comes from. That's the where they lowered him down. She's the only one saved, her and her family. He leads them through the promised land. He's the one who is the conquering person to get them their cities. And an interesting fact him and Caleb are one of the only two people. Him and Caleb are the only two people who left Egypt and actually made it into the promised land. Everyone else died because they did not believe that they could take out the nations when God told them. Any questions about Joshua? Who he is? What he did? Why he's important? There's an interesting thing. So he met Jesus before they crossed or before they invaded Jericho. He sees a man standing there with a sword. And Joshua says to him, are you for us or against us? And he says, neither. I am the commander of the Lord of the armies of the angels. Basically, I'm the commander of God's army. This is Jesus. That neither is very telling. Jesus is not for or against anybody. It is our actions that result in how we they are treated back then. God didn't hate those people. He hated their actions. That will be echoed in the book of Revelations. Where in the letter he says, I also hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which things you also hate. He doesn't hate the Nicolaitans. He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Did his, his face glow too? Nope. He didn't meet Jesus face to face. He just saw him from a distance? He saw the, he saw the smoke and the pillar. He never met him. I mean, he, he met him. You talk about the angel? He, he wasn't. Sword. Yeah, he wasn't in his... So... When Moses saw Jesus, Jesus was in glory, Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, when he saw him, he thought he was an actual person. So here we have Saul, king, not Saul who will become Paul. Old Testament Saul. What do we know about Saul? So he's the first king of Israel. Israel was told to have no king. God is their king. But they said, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. They got Saul. 
Saul will actually lose his throne as king. He is told to kill all of the Amalekites. He doesn't do it. He tries to make some excuses, but he doesn't do it. And in not doing that, he is actually told that he has lost the kingdom. Now, he keeps the kingdom for another 25 years. But in the Old Testament, as we've talked before, the Spirit of God would come upon them. Work through them, and then leave. Which is why David was so scared that the Spirit would leave him. Take not your spirit from me. Take not your spirit from me, especially with Bathsheba and the killing of Uriah the Hittite. Saul lost him. And it actually went to David. And so that's when he lost his throne. And that's why he was jealous of David. Tried to kill him for 25 years. He's actually an example of how not to lead. He did very poor, poor leadership things. And we actually looked at Saul in detail. Interesting fact, he is the largest or biggest guy in the country. No one comes above his shoulders. So God gave them a king that they wanted. Somebody who looked big and strong. But in fact, that's not what they meant. All right, David. What do we know about David? Man after God's own heart. Okay. What's that mean? So when they wanted a, a king, like I said, they saw you know, the biggest phrase, all that. David was just a running mill type of guy. And God chose me, so that I look at the heart, not the, uh, you know, with normal people with aesthetics or whatnot. He's king right after Saul. He's a man after God's own heart. Which means he, if you look at the Psalms, he sounds rather... You're looking at him and you're like, man, he's praying some things. And like, that's kind of forceful. Like, that's almost not reverent. And what we fail to understand is he knew what God had promised. And he's now telling God, you made these promises. You can't go back on your promise because you are God. And so now I'm asking you to hold that up because I'm about to die here and I have nothing else. And so I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do these things because you said you would do it. That is what it means. He was full of faith. He's the one who fought Goliath. Despite King Saul being so big, he hid in his tent and he didn't come out and fight Goliath. David. God promised to keep a descendant of David on the throne forever. In fact, David will rule in a thousand in a thousand year reign as second in command to Jesus. His downside was Bathsheba. Uh, he committed adultery with her. This is actually where we get the carrying your own death warrant. You ever heard that saying? This is where that comes from. Her husband is Uriah the Hittite. He calls him back from the battlefield, tries to send him home to cover his own sin, but Uriah won't go home and sleep with his wife. So he's out of options. So he hands him an order that tells the king or the uh, commander of the army to essentially send him to the hottest point. And when he's engaged in battle, leave him alone until he dies. <clears throat> you said the hottest? Yep. Like, take him to the center. Uriah is actually one of David's, what's known as his 30 mighty men. He's, he's one of his 30 best soldiers. And he killed him off for it. Bathsheba, like we said, names mean something. One of the name, meanings of her names is voluptuous. So we know that he saw her bathing on the roof. And that's when he decided he was going to have her. So we know she was an attractive woman. Many people have tried to blame Bathsheba for taking a bath in the middle of the afternoon on a roof. Because they bathed on the roof because that's how they kept the water warm. In fact, they slept on the roof, too. But if you read through there, it most likely sounds as if she was ending her impurity cycle and had to bathe herself to be clean before the end of the day. The question is, why was David staring? There's some in the background of that. So again, he will reign with Jesus over Jerusalem for the thousand years. An interesting fact, David is only about five foot two. Described as handsome but redheaded. ginger. So he's five foot two, and Saul is the biggest guy in the country. And yet David takes on Goliath. Five two. Mm -hmm. Any questions, thoughts about David? Hearing none. 
Solomon. What do we know about Solomon? Son of King David. He's the son of King David. Yeah. He's known as the wisest uh, man that he lived in. He's extremely wealthy. Uh, but even then, he fell into temptation. Uh, mm. He uh, had many wives, many concubines, mistresses. And uh, they actually got him to uh, start worshiping their gods. Uh, so, for all your wisdom, you know, so. he's the son of David and Bathsheba. The very woman, in fact, the first child they had that she was pregnant with that he killed Uriah over actually died. God killed that child because of their sin. <clears throat> he's king after David. They didn't kill his own, his first son? No, God did, with illness, because of his sin. He is the wisest man besides Jesus to ever live. He built the first temple, which David actually planned but wasn't allowed to build, according to God. He met with the Queen of Sheba. So have you ever heard, oh, and he came, they gave you all sorts of stuff like the Queen of Sheba. This is where that comes from, because she brought tons of stuff, spices and all sorts of animals and stuff, and she gave it to Solomon because when she met with him, she said, I couldn't believe the fact that everybody said he was so wise. I couldn't believe it, and yet they did not say the half of his wisdom. Despite his, and in his wisdom, he wrote the only biblical book that is completely dedicated to sex. It is the Song of Solomon. It tells you how we should act, how we should act in relationships, in, in a sexual manner, and Jewish men were not allowed to read it until the age of 30 because they believed that it was too inflammatory. They would not be able to control their urges if they read it. And if you actually know what you're reading, it's very descriptive. Both male and female oral sex is in there, uh, actual sex, descriptions of bodies as related to that there gazelle. Hopping around the mountains. He describes women's breasts as mountains. And he wanted to be a gazelle, mount, hopping around the mountains. He actually tells men to approach the woman as you would approach two fawns of a gazelle in the pasture. In essence, you walk up to him real nice and slowly, because if you jump out and go, Hey, fawn! They take off and run. So he's, there's a lot in there. And I mean, when you realize what you're reading, it can turn your face red sometimes. Especially if you decide, I'm just going to play Bible roulette and start reading it to your kids. It, it's, it answers a lot of the questions that people don't want to hear. Uh, interesting fact, yes, he did have lots of wives. 700, in fact. And 300 concubines. So the man got around. God told him, don't have a lot of wives. Concubines. Concubines are women that are there to help you make more children. But they do not have the same rights as wives. He, God told him to stay away from multiple women, or he would have problems. In fact, they turned his heart from God to paganism and... His son loses the kingdom because of that. That's where it divides into two parts. Daniel. What do we know about Daniel? Anything? There's a hint on the screen. Yeah. Daniel's the guy that was thrown in the lion's den. Daniel 6. The king can't sleep all night, but Daniel does just fine. He interpreted dreams. In fact, uh, Daniel 2 depicts the nations throughout the rest of time as far as their importance to the nation of Israel and relates the order they will come in and the metal that is related to them. You ever hear the term handwriting on the wall? You seen the writing on the wall? That's where this comes from. Daniel chapter 5. Belteshazzar's feast. He decides he has a great idea that he is going to take the implements stolen from the temple when they invaded Jerusalem. And they're just going to party with them. And they hand. 
disconnected from my body, appears and writes a message on the wall. And no one can figure out what it is. And the grandma of the king comes in and goes, Yo, your grandpa had a guy named Daniel, and he could probably tell you what that means. So he calls Daniel. And uh, Daniel tells him, he promises him a robe. He promises him riches. He promises a third, the third highest point in the kingdom. He goes, I don't want any of it. Tonight, your kingdom's going to fall. And in fact, it did. He had many visions. Uh, his visions included uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra in detail. The conquest of Alexander the Great in extreme detail. The nations that would rise and fall in detail. He gives us the most detail about the Antichrist. And outside of the book of Revelation, he gives us the most details about end times prophecies, amongst other things. He gives us the 70 weeks prophecy, which is the backbone of Jewish prophecy. Uh, and actually gives us the day to which Jesus had to enter the Temple Mount which we know as, as Palm Sunday. Daniel's rather important. He served for a long time. He served 13 kings over, I want to say like four different nations. The most notable of them are Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, and Darius. He served in all of them. Interesting fact, there is no bad report about Daniel in the Bible. Other than Jesus, he is the only other person that nothing bad is said about. Questions? Thoughts about Daniel? Look at Peter. New Testament, a.k.a. Simon Peter. What do we know about Peter? Loyal disciples. Speak, speak up. He was a loyal disciple of Christ, and he was actually the, uh, <clears throat> um, the one who would start the church. Peter's the one who walked on water. When you hear walking on water, that was Jesus, and Peter's the one who actually did it with him. He will deny Jesus three times. And Peter actually means rock. And Jesus tells him, you, Peter, are the rock upon which my church shall be built, even with those failures. He's what I call a tier one disciple. Peter, James, and John are always taken with Jesus into places the rest of the disciples are not on multiple occasions. And so it appears that he had tier one disciples. He's a fisherman. He is impulsive. He's very strong. In fact, we see uh, when Jesus comes back that he just pulls a net full of 150 large fish that the other disciples can't pull to shore. He grabs it and says, give it to me. And he pulls it all ashore by himself. So he's a big dude, which can lead us to understand why he is so impulsive. He's not intimidated by many people, and he's probably used to getting his way. Uh, hence, Peter tends to act before he thinks. He's there on the trans Mount of Transfiguration with James and John. And he just speaks out, let's build three tents. Jesus is like, man, eh, no. Uh, he hops out of the boat and walks on water for some time. So his mind catches up and he thinks, I can't do it. And then he starts to sink. These stories of Peter are numerous. But he is, in fact, the person who will lead the church. He will be martyred upside down, crucified upside down, because he felt he was unworthy to be killed in the same manner as Jesus. And an interesting fact, he is the only married disciple. At least that we know of. Why is he killed? Why? Because of his faith. Because he was, essentially they were all killed except for one person. Only one of the disciples actually died a natural death. Good job. Any questions about Peter? What about James? What do we know about James? Good job. Is he the one of the brother? Yes. There are actually three Jameses. There's James, Jesus' brother. He writes the book of James. There's James, the son of Alphaeus. He's actually the brother of Matthew, the disciple, and he is known as Young James. 
And then there's James, son of Zebedee, which is John's brother. He's known as Older John. Um, and this is the one that is part of the Tier 1 Disciples. This is the James, John, and Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and John are actually known as the Sons of Thunder. It's actually a nickname Jesus gave them after he was not received into a city, and they offered to call down fire from heaven for him. Interesting fact, Jesus, his brother James, had knees like camel when he died. He prayed so often on his knees that he developed calluses that looked like a camel's knee. And I ask you, you know, we have loved ones who die, we have friends who die, and we wish we could talk to them. But we're not to pray to those people. Here's James, whose brother dies. He knows he's alive, and he can actually talk to him. So could that explain why James is so much of a person of prayer that he's actually still talking to his brother? Which kind of convicts us, because how little we pray, probably because we don't see that we actually have a connection with him at that level. Speaking of myself as well. John. What do we know about John? Peter, James, and John. Another one of your tier one disciples, if you will. John is the disciple who describes himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Jesus loved all the disciples. John just believed he should describe himself as the one Jesus loved. During Jesus' mission, his three years... John is probably between 14 and 16 years old. You know, he's a teenager. Which probably explains why he believes Jesus loved him more than anybody else. <laughs> he's also a fisherman. He wrote John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. Is the only disciple to die of natural causes. He preached very short sermons as an old man. In fact, church uh, history is that he came in, they carried him in on a mat. He raised his finger to the air and said, Love one another, brethren. And then they carried him out. What I find most interesting about John is uh, you call him your true one disciples, but like, yeah, Peter was the rock of the church, and Paul wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, but. Paul wasn't actually in the disciples. Well, I mean, out of the people that um, were the church, I guess, the first century church. What I think is interesting is that if you look to, if somebody's looking to know about Jesus, how to get saved, and all that, John is one of the best books mm -hmm. that you can go to. And typically, if somebody comes to a church and wants to know about Jesus, and you know, they really have any questions, they typically go to John. I just I think that's very interesting that John writes to, as Jesus as a person. He's, it's very like this is the person of Jesus. My first, well, my favorite verses are in John. What's that? Um, what are the verses like one could do like in the beginning of the word with John, the word was John, or, the word was with God, God the word was God. God. We skip down verse 14, and the word becomes flesh and lived among us. Does anybody know who John's main protege, the person he caught up, was? You may have actually heard of him, you may not. He has a very strange name. His name is Polycarp. You ever hear of Polycarp? That's John's. He's cited a lot, and people are a lot of times are like, I don't know who Polycarp, never heard of him. Well, he's like Jesus, John, Polycarp. Like, he's once removed from the teachings of Jesus. He's, he's usually pretty uh, respected, and um, you can understand him. Interesting fact, Rome did try to kill John. They just couldn't. In fact, they threw him in a pot of boiling oil. It was like a sauna. He just sat in there like a jacuzzi. 
When they realized they couldn't kill him, they were so scared they sent him to the island of Patmos, which is where he will get the book of Revelation. When you got to the island of Patmos, they would crush your right foot, sever the tendons behind your left knee, hook out one eye, smash your one hand, and then something, a chain to the other one, just so that you couldn't get away, even though you're on an island. John shows up, they looked at him, and they were like, please enter, sir. No one wanted to touch the man. So that, that is the, the uh, aura around John. John is the disciple when Jesus says, there is someone here whom shall not pass away until all these things happen. They see all these things happen. Which is what led the early church to believe when he said, I'm coming back quickly. They weren't going to die. And that is, in fact, John. But he saw through a vision, the book of Revelation, which is the rest of time. And then he died. They mistook that. In fact, Peter spread the rumor. The Bible clearly says that Peter spread the rumor that John would not die before Jesus came back. And Jesus said, I didn't say that. Don't worry. He literally told him, don't worry about what I say about him. And then he tells Peter, you're going to live to an old age. But you're going to die. So Peter knew he was going to live to an old age, too. What about Saul, who will become Paul? What do we know about Saul, Paul? Or Paul, Saul? He is born a Roman in Tarsus. It means he had Roman citizenship. This comes into play a whole lot. He can move anywhere in the Roman Empire as a citizen, and they can't touch him. Numerous times, Paul uses this to his advantage when they're going to punish him. And all of a sudden, he goes, are you going to punish me even though I'm a Roman without cause? And people freak out because they could be sentenced to death for beating him. Um, he played this card quite a bit, so it's very important. He is a Pharisee. I'm going to tear this name up. He is a Pharisee under the teaching of Gamiel. That is the strictest of all the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the strict people. So what upsets people in the Jewish customs is that Paul was the elite of the elite when it came to the law, and then he turns around and starts using the law against them. And so everybody wants to kill Paul. He's persecuted. He, he initially persecutes the church. In fact, Acts 7 and 8, he is at the of Stephen, the first martyr of the church, and he consents. He is converted. He gets the authority from the high priest to arrest any Christians he finds in Damascus. And he's on the way to Damascus when Jesus appears to him in a bright light and converts him from Saul to Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He suffered for Christ. In fact, he wrote, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So he's whipped 39 times, five times. I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He was stoned so much they thought he was dead and left him. Three day, three times I was shipwrecked. Never go on a ship with Paul. The boats crash all the time. <laughs> a, a night and a day I was left at sea. In journeys often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the church. And on top of that, on the island of Malta, he was bit by a venomous snake. Jesus told him, you are going to suffer for me. You persecuted my church. You're going to suffer for me. And he did. He was bit by a venomous snake, and those people then were like, oh, this guy's wicked. Watch what happens. And nothing happened. And then they worshipped him. He was like, nope, don't worship me, worship God. So he is very instrumental in a whole lot of stuff. He was a martyr. He was beheaded in Rome. Uh, 
for his faith. He had what's known as a thorn in his flesh. No one knows what this is. Something either physically, most likely some physical something happened, and he prayed three times to have it removed. It could be, some people have said, in his re his regret, because he said, of, of all the sinners, I am chief. Was it his regret of persecuting the church, stoning Stephen? Uh, what was, was it regret? Was it some physical issue that he prayed to have removed? We don't know. We only know that he prayed three times and God finally said, stop praying about it. I heard you the first time. I heard you the second time. And this third time, I have given it to you so that you will not have pride. So whatever it was, it was to keep him from becoming prideful. Which is why I do not rule out mental illness, mental injury and regret. Because that will remove your pride a lot. If you see yourself no better than anybody else, you have a hard time becoming prideful. I don't know. I, I... Interesting fact, though. He had an annoying, high-pitched voice, a very long, hooked nose, and was rather short in stature. Not what you see in The Chosen or any other study. He looked, honestly, in my vision of him, he was like the penguin. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean... Everywhere he went, people tried to kill him once he believed. He tried to kill people for their for his faith before. And what was the first thing Paul did? Like, despite being what is physically unimposing, the first thing he does is goes into the synagogues and starts telling them he was wrong and they're wrong and Jesus is the Savior to the point where people try to kill him everywhere and he has to escape through baskets and everything else. Multiple. That's Paul. Questions? Comments?